Today on Blue 58, the Packers kept their playoff dreams alive with a strong win over the Miami Dolphins. They took their opponents' best punches and stood strong. More importantly, they're now halfway to winning out. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. And I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Uh, Sorry we were a little bit late getting the podcast up, but like we said, we weren't planning to do anything on Christmas. Just going to relax and spend some time with the family, and I hope you were able to do that as well. Just a reminder, we are only a few days away from the end of our charity drive. Donations still going strong, so thank you to everybody who has donated so far. And for those of you who haven't, there is information at thepowersweep.com and in the show description of this very episode on how you can participate if that is something you would like to do. We'll talk more about that later this week as the deadline continues to approach. But December 31st, get your donations in by then if you want to be included in our drawing for some of the prizes available for those of you who donate. So, the Packers won. And not to put too fine a point on it, but I basically just loved what I saw from the Packers in this game. Things didn't go well early, but you know what? The Packers didn't care. And the opposite has happened often enough to the Packers over the past three and a half, close to four seasons now, That has become a bit of a trope on this show. The Matt LaFleur microchip. One tiny thing gets compromised, and suddenly the whole deal falls apart. But not today. And I think as we've seen over the back half of this season, not to the 2022 Packers. At least to the second half version. Because things didn't go very well against the Cowboys at times. Amari Rodgers put the ball on the ground. The Cowboys rallied. But the Packers took him to overtime and won. Things didn't go particularly well against the Bears until basically the fourth quarter. But the Packers handled their business and won. And then you have the Miami Dolphins. The Packers, well, look, the first half was about as bad as things could have gone at points there. It could still have been worse, but it was plenty bad. The Packers are down 20-10 to in the second quarter, but hung right in there. They went down and got a field goal right before the half. Then they put it in the end zone right after the break. And then they held steady as the Dolphins basically just melted down. Interception, interception, interception to end the game for the Miami Dolphins. Three drives in a row. We talk a lot on this podcast about kinds of games. Last week was a specific kind of game. We talked about the Packers pushing around an opponent that they know they should beat. This week was a different kind. It wasn't really a shootout. You can't really call a 26-20 game a shootout, though 46 points is is plenty in a Packers game, especially this year. But it was kind of a test of nerve. A game where you got to stand eye-to-eye with the opponent, and whoever flinches first, or flinches last, I guess, loses. Call it a staring contest game or something like that. I don't know. But the Dolphins flinched a whole bunch of times. And the Packers had more than a few bumps in the road, too. But in the end, they were the ones driving down the field, running out the clock, pounding away with A.J. Dillon, getting those first downs and getting into field goal range to make it a six-point game, forcing the Dolphins to have to go the length of the field to try to, I guess, take the lead. They had to score a touchdown, and then a, a PAT would have done it. But they were the ones putting the pressure on the Dolphins at the end. And the Dolphins cracked. One final interceptions from, from interception from Tua Tonga Vailoa, and that's it for the Dolphins. And the Packers 
now a game away from being 500 on the year. Let's start with the good things, as we always do. First and foremost, we have to talk about plays on the ball on defense. At various points throughout the season, we have bemoaned the Packers' lack of ball hawks, the number that we track, making plays on the ball. Forced fumbles, sacks, interceptions, passes defense, one of those four things. By my count, the Packers had 13 things in those categories this week. That is at or near a season high. Sometimes the numbers change after the fact, so I can't say for sure exactly that it's a season high. But 13 is almost always good enough to win, and the Packers haven't crossed the double-digit mark all that often this year. Sacks, play, uh, passes defensed, interceptions, forced fumbles, those are always going to be things that inch you closer to victory. And the Packers came up with a bunch of them against the Miami Dolphins. On the offensive side of the ball, I love the diversity. If you can't get game-defining performances from one player, you might as well get contributions from a lot of them. And the Packers did that, at least through the air. The running game wasn't great today, for a variety of reasons, but through the air, they did, at the very least, a pretty good job of shredding the ball around. Ten different players had a catch, six had a catch for double-digit yards, five had an explosive play through the air. That's pretty close to good enough in a game where you can't run the ball all that well. And if not for a an interception in the end zone where there was a lot of contact and not a very good play on the ball, to be honest, by Alan Lazard, I think the passing offense looks pretty well, pretty good overall. It They did well, well enough to win. Let's put it that way. Then finally, I'd love the game-ending drive. We haven't seen it as much this year for a variety of reasons, but in 2020, the Packers were so good at this. They take over the ball with just a few minutes left on the clock, usually up by a possession or less, and just drain it. You're never getting the ball back because we're just going to move the ball methodically down the field, keep manufacturing first downs. And it's not the 2011 or even 2014 version of Aaron Rodgers, but veteran Aaron Rodgers, old man Aaron Rodgers, has become, I think, so good at this. Protecting a lead late in the game. Maybe it's because of how often he saw his his defenses give things up in, in 2012 and 2015 and 2016. And, well, you know the story. But, you know, it's, it's a well-worn trope of the Aaron Rodgers era. He puts a team up late, and the other offense just comes right down the field and takes the lead back. And then he's got to try to score again. Well, later in his career, he has become really good at just manufacturing first downs. And... This was another one of those drives where the Packers were just able to do that and close out almost every second left on the clock. We haven't seen it much this year because they haven't necessarily been all that, (laughs) haven't been up that much in games late. But we've gotten it pretty close to two weeks in a row now. Last week against the Rams, the Packers took over on their own 14-yard line with 8 minutes and 51 seconds to go on the clock. 15 plays and 82 yards later, the Packers were walking off the field with a win. This week, they got the ball off the Devondre Campbell interception late. Nine plays, 61 yards, and about four minutes off the clock later, they were kicking a field goal to go up 26-20. to Now, had they been able to pick up that last first down, that probably would have been the end of the game, and it's too bad that we couldn't see that. But they put a lot of pressure on the Dolphins with that drive. And being able to do that when they couldn't 
really sustain drives all that well early in the year. It's a sign of some real progress for this offense. It's a sign of a healthy run game. It's a sign of a passing game that's executing at least well enough. That's progress. And I know sitting here on December 26th as we record this and talking about, well, they're making progress on offense, doesn't sound like all that much. And really, it it may not be. But comparing it to where they were early in the season, I still think it's noteworthy. It's not maybe what we hoped for at this point, still acknowledging that the Packers have been winning, but they are taking steps in the right direction. On the bad side of things, you might guess where we begin. The defense, particularly in the first half. Here's how those first five Dolphins drives went. Field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, field goal. And they did it pretty much however you like. Big plays from Raheem Mostert. Big plays from Jeff Wilson. Big plays from Tyreek Hill. The biggest play of all from Jalen Waddell. The Dolphins just did whatever they want. And apparently, reading some recaps after the fact, it took a stern speech, let's put it that way, from defensive backs coach Jerry Gray to get things turned around. Kind of makes you wonder, you know, how things could have been different this season in one notable way. Maybe if Jerry Gray was the one lighting a fire under the defense, we could have, you know, different defensive efforts. I don't know. But in the first half, the Packers nearly lost the game for themselves going down 20 to 10. In fact, I thought the game was over at 20 to 10. How confident did you feel when the Packers went down 10 in the second quarter, the way the Dolphins were moving the ball? Just at that moment, the Dolphins scored their second touchdown of the game. It doesn't seem like they are really going to regret only settling for field goals on those two other drives because it looks like the Dolphins are in name-the-score mode. And yes, the Packers should get credit for how they played in the second half. A lot of that is on the Dolphins, though, because you've got a missed field goal, you've got three interceptions, and two of those interceptions, pretty bad. I mean, the game ended to Rasul Douglas, I, who is he throwing to? And... Devondre Campbell makes a great play on the one before that. But again, Mostert wasn't even looking for the ball. Tua's going hot read there, it looked like, to Mostert going up the field. And Campbell just kind of reads his eyes and steps right in front of it. A gift for Christmas. As good as they played, the the Dolphins factored into that a lot, too. And then you got a missed field goal in there factor that in and the Packers are driving to take the lead instead of extend the lead late and the Dolphins only have to get three points to tie or a touchdown to win on their last drive. How does that change the complexion of the afternoon? The first half defense was bad and they needed the the, the Dolphins really to fall all over themselves for their defensive performance in the second half to matter at all. Secondly, I want to talk about the red zone offense because right now the Packers red zone offense just makes me sad. We talk about the Dolphins tripping all over themselves and leaving opportunities out there. How about the Packers? First red zone trip of the day. Keyshawn Nixon sets them up with great field position off a big kickoff return. They go with a run play. Fine. Aaron Rodgers takes a terrible sack and then they go incomplete on third down. Got to settle for a field goal. Next time down, Christian Watson trips over himself where he would have scored. Bummer but it happens. Then the Packers score with Mercedes Lewis on fourth down. Touchdown. Great. Next time, though, A.J. Dillon gets two cracks from goal to go. He gets in on the second one. 
Okay, we're two out of three, not too bad. But it gets worse from there. In the fourth quarter, the Packers had a first and goal from the seven-yard line. First down, there's a bad exchange between Aaron Rodgers and A.J. Dillon. Ball ends up on the ground. Dillon recovers. A gain of two still, but not exactly what they were hoping for. On second down, Alan Lazard does some unusual orbit motion type thing right to left. They set him up in space on the left side. Why? Alan Lazard, as we know, is not exactly super dangerous in space. So why is that your go-to play here at the goal line? Trying to get the ball to Alan Lazard on the perimeter where he can what exactly? I don't know. I don't know what the plan is there. And then third down, Aaron Rodgers scrambles, kind of half throws it away looking for Alan Lazard. They can't connect in the end zone. They have to settle for a field goal. Again, finally, last drive. Trying to kill some clock in the fourth quarter. Packers have first and 10 from the Miami 15. Aaron Jones gets taken down for a loss of three on first down. Second down, A.J. Dillon tripped by a true shoestring tackle. The Dolphins defender just getting a hand on his left foot and barely does enough to get Dillon to stumble and fall. Third down, A.J. Dillon goes up the middle, and they settle for a field goal. It seemed like really an opportune time to stick it to him there because they still have to go a long way if they want to kick a field goal and tie it at that point. But the Packers do settle for a field goal there. I think we can debate uh, whether or not that was a good decision at another point. But overall, yes, they do get five or points on all five drives into the, into the red zone, but they also left a lot of points out there too. You're looking at a, close to a 40-point day for the Packers offense if they're able to cash in all of those five trips to the red zone. Against a team that is not actively melting down like the Dolphins were Sunday afternoon, that's probably not going to get it done. And against some of the teams that you could hypothetically play in the playoffs, I don't think that's going to to cut it. Finally, it's not a big thing, but the injuries in this one really bummed me out for a very specific reason. The Packers did win, but they had to overcome injuries to Keyshawn Nixon, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, and Yash Nyman. If any of those end up lingering, that could end up being a season killer type deal. And I would just hate to see the Packers lose this final push for the playoffs due to just running out of bodies. Now, they're not going to get a ton of sympathy from me if they do end up missing the playoffs. That 0-4 stretch against the Giants, the Jets, the Commanders, and the Lions, I mean, that is the bigger issue than where the Packers are now in terms of injuries. They ha- they've made their bed. they got to lie in it. However, if they end up, if that bed ends up catching on fire because of injuries... Well, I mean, it was unfortunate to start with. That just seems like adding injury to insult, put it that way. Still, it doesn't look like any of these are a super big deal, but just something to monitor because the Packers are just so thin right now. So what does it all mean? Still alive. That's all it amounts to at this point. Just win and just keep winning. And the Packers have a chance to do that and get a little revenge next week against the Minnesota Vikings at Lambeau Field. It's time for some revenge. The Vikings had their incredible comeback win over the Colts this week. 33 points. They were down at halftime. Came back and won in overtime. I don't think anybody ever gets everything they want for Christmas. Just a bummer. Anyway, I think that the only sensible thing to do then, in light of that, is for the Packers to go up 40 points in the first half and see if the Vikings can come back from that.
Heck, let's make it 50. 56 to nothing at halftime. Let's see if Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson can dig out of that. I'm not even sure that Joe Barry could allow that to happen. Checking in on the rookies. Quay Walker, quiet, but I think fairly solid game against the Dolphins. Just one tackle, one pass defense. Notably, though, he did play 96% of the Packers' defensive snaps. This is the sixth time in seven games he's played at least 96%. He is close to fully realized rookie Quay Walker, I think, at this point. The question is, can he take step forwards from steps forward from where he is right now? I think we're close to seeing the best version of Quay that we can get as a rookie right now. Devontae Wyatt got some more playing time in this one too. And this is an advantage of doing the podcast on Monday instead of Sunday after the game. We get all the snap count information, but he had 24 snaps in this game, in the Dolphins game, a season-high 48% of the Packers' defensive snaps. He turned that into one tackle and one quarterback hit. Both that snap count total and that percentage are season highs for Mr. Wyatt. Christian Watson had six catches for 49 yards before his hip injury. If he ends up needing it, he may have my hip. I just want to offer that up there. Sean Ryan, of course, still suspended. Romeo Dobbs looking very solid as a complimentary receiver. Three catches, 36 yards, and I think he's settling nicely into that role of you better not forget about Romeo Dobbs. Zach Tom, the best thing I can say about him is I almost never notice that he's out there. Five starts now for Zach Tom at a couple different positions on the offensive line. He's done great whenever he's been out there. And I think it's worth noting that he has played every snap in every game that he has started. So five times he's been called on to start. He has never had to come out of one of those games. On defense, J.J. Inigbari, one quarterback hit, one pass defense. I would say he now basically looks like a low-end starting edge rusher, which sounds like fairly low-end praise, but I think that's pretty good for a fifth-round pick, especially one who kind of got thrown into the mix. Hey, you're going to be playing a ton of snaps now uh, because of Rashawn Gary's injury. He was supposed to be just that complimentary third or maybe fourth edge rusher. Instead, he's starting across from Preston Smith or functionally starting across from Preston Smith and playing fairly well. He looks like a better and better player each and every week, which I think is about as all all you can ask for. Tariq Carpenter ended up playing three snaps on defense, 10 on special teams, had two special teams tackles, actually doubling his season total. Jonathan Ford inactive again, still more of a concept than a player at this point. Rashid Walker made his NFL debut this week, playing four snaps on special teams, the first four snaps of his career with the Packers. Samori Ture uh, played just a cameo role on offense, six snaps, no targets. What are you going to do? Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs coming into their own. Not a whole lot of snaps to go around when you've got uh, Al Lazard and uh, Randall Cobb out there as well. A few more notebook clearing observations, and then we will send you on your way for what remains of Victory Monday here into Victory Tuesday, we'll call it. Starting with uniforms, give the Packers a solid three out of four on the road. Solid enough in the sun. Dolphins, I really want to like them, but I end up you know, going back and forth on this a little bit, I think it's a two and a half out of four for Miami. I like everything about what the Dolphins do with their uniforms kind of in a vacuum. The colors are great. I love the Dolphins as a mascot or nickname. The logo is fine, but I think piecing things together, it looks just kind of soulless. And especially compared to their throwbacks, it's kind of empty. There's not a lot of character to it. The sleeve stripes really pop on some of the older uniforms that they use compared to the the new ones. It just looks... Again, kind of empty. Matchup-wise, this is not a good one for me. A one out of two. Too many colors. Green, yellow, aqua, orange. 
lots of black from both teams. It it just doesn't come together for me. So overall, a six and a half out of ten. Not bad. Two great uniforms, I think, individually on the te- on the on the field together. Not not great either. Another uniform nugget here. Uh, Jair Alexander started this game, no long sleeve shirt. After the half, yellow long sleeve shirt under his pads, and he got a pick in the second half. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Uh, bonus, bonus uniform nugget from the broadcast booth this time. Daryl Johnston switched blazers at halftime. Came out looking like a um, uh, like a Christmas lounge singer in the first half. Put on like I would call it like a wacky uncle blazer for the second half. Not usually something I notice, but switched it up between the two halves. On offense, Mercedes Lewis scored a touchdown for the Packers. Now his six over his years with the Packers now, importantly, has surpassed fellow tight end Jimmy Graham, who also signed with Green Bay the same offseason that uh, that Lewis did. He has also played 47 more games in Green Bay than Graham did, but still, still, he has more touchdowns. He also had a 31-yard catch, which is, I believe, his second longest of his time in Green Bay. He had a 36-yarder a couple of years ago. Sticking with the offensive theme, uh, the Packers have run a lot of quasi-read option type stuff this year. After setting it up for a few weeks now, Aaron Rodgers finally pulled it and ran on a read option, and it was hilarious. It didn't even seem to be the right read. Or if it was, the defensive player had no trouble recovering and tracking Aaron Rodgers down for a gain of exactly zero yards. Not too shabby. The passing game, we talked about it being pretty good but not great. I am not really bothered by that because although the Packers didn't go particularly well down the field, they didn't really connect on any of their deep shots other than the big one to, to Alan Lazard and the big one to um, Mercedes Lewis. I think that was mainly due to the way the, the Miami defensive backs were playing. We talked earlier about Alan Lazard, maybe not making a great play on the ball in the end zone on that interception. That I think is true. But it looked like Miami got away with a lot of contact on that play, too. And generally, it seemed like Miami was playing a kind of make-em-call-it scheme, which is consistent with what we would expect from, from people largely connected to that uh, you know, Robert Sala tree or people who have been connected to him in the past. Mike McDaniel, obviously, some connections to him there, though he's an offensive coach. Um, that's something that I think is probably the right way to play defense in the NFL now. Because if you're just beating up players, beating up opposing receivers on every single play— they're eventually just going to swallow their whistles because they're not going to call a defensive pass interference call on, on every single play. Or if they are, they'll just wait to a very opportune moment when it does maximum negative impact to a play a team playing against Tom Brady, say, for instance, in the 2020 NFC Championship game. Just I don't know why that came to mind, but it's something that, that has been known to happen. Anyway, in this game, the Dolphins seem to be playing pretty physical down the field, and I think that's just going to be how things are for the Packers until maybe they have a little bit more star power at receiver. Once the the rest of the league decides that, hey, this Christian Watson guy is worth paying attention to, we should probably give him the benefit of the doubt on a couple of these calls. I think things might start to swing back a little bit more towards the Packer on some of those. Finally, to finish things out, uh, Patrick Taylor made it into the the game this weekend. Aaron Aaron Jones a little bit banged up. Uh, A.J. Dillon does need a break from time to time, and there's Patrick Taylor making a 17-yard catch and run. Often nifty little sort of wing back play. Uh, lines up as a wing on the right side and almost runs a, a leak up the field coming across the formation right to left. It was so well executed, I almost wonder if they had a Patrick Taylor 
uh, package in the game, uh, just waiting for him to, you know, to be in there. And they had a package of plays they knew he could run, that being one of them. It was the second catch of his career, the first explosive play I have for him coming through the air. And on the very next play, he had a nice pass blocking rep too. So pretty solid performance, I I would say, for Patrick Taylor. All in all, very, very solid win for the Packers. And most importantly, it was a win. I feel like last year, about this time, maybe a little bit earlier, we talked about being in the end game for the Packers. We are in the end game again. The Packers know exactly what they have to do. They have to keep winning. No matter what anybody else does, they've got to win. And of course, they need some other people to do some things as well, but they can't control that. Here at the end, waiting for things to fall into place down the stretch, the Packers got to win and win and win and win. They've handled two of those four wins. Now they've got a score to settle with an old rival coming up next weekend. We'll be there to preview that. And I think we'll probably be able to squeeze in another episode this week between now and preview time coming up on Friday. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you. I appreciate you listening. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.